If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And today, I really felt compelled to talk a little bit to um, our young church about what, who we are, what makes us who we are, why we're here, and how are you to be a part of what God is doing here. Now, I've never really said this before, but this teaching today is more for those who call this place home. I've never said that before up here, and this is kind of a weird, really awkward sort of thing for me to do. And the reason why I say that is if you consider yourself, this is like your home, this church is your home, if this is your faith community, if you consider yourself members of, of reality, whether it's for a short time, last month or two, or the last 19 months, because that's how old we are, um, the reason why I say this is because I, I, I really want to say things specifically to you, and I feel like if I don't make that caveat, then other people that are new here are going to be like, this church is weird, and this is why I never come to church, because they talk about this sort of thing, okay? So if you are here, and you're new, and you were invited by somebody, and you've never been here before, and you're like, you just want another excuse to hate church, I'm going to give you a lot today, um, a lot of reasons why you, you might hate the church. But I hope what you'll find is that you'll see what in the world is a Christian community about? Why should there be a church in San Francisco? Why does San Francisco need another church? Um, this last year, Barna Research Institute came out with a study saying that San Francisco was the least church-going city in the nation. And people like that. They're like, yeah, this is not the Bible Belt, and that's why I live here. But why does San Francisco need a church? Why do we believe we want to be a part of a church here? And I hope to answer a little bit of that as well. So let me read this to you and then pray. Ask God for a lot of help. Verse 19. Now this isn't coming out of the blue, by the way. We just finished the, the, the Lord's Prayer. This is kind of the next section over. Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount, very famous sermon. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath, rust, moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value? Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord, I I desperately need your help this morning. Um, There's a lot of things in my mind that I really want to share, and there's things that I know that you want to share, and to be honest, they're still a bit confused in my mind, and so I pray that you would weed out all the the stuff that should not be talked about today, that should not be said today, and that you would edify your church and build up your church and wash your church um, clean, and I I pray that you would get your church, this church here, kind of focused on you to where our lives are... um, kind of absorbed into the mission of God in San Francisco, where our lives aren't about ourselves, as Paul the Apostle prayed. Um, I do not count my life dear to myself. I pray that that would be our prayer collectively as a church, that we not, would not count our lives dear to ourselves. That we wouldn't find the sum of our life in stuff. Deliver us, God. We look to you and we trust you today. Minister to hearts, I pray God, that nobody in here, that no one in here would, would hear from a man today, that we would all hear from God. Holy Spirit, speak. In Jesus' name, amen. This summer, we began a series on the Lord's Prayer, and that's what we've been going through this summer. And we called the sermon, On Earth As It Is In Heaven. That's kind of the, the sermon title. And we took that sermon title or that series title from the, the, the middle petition in the Lord's Prayer that went like this in Matthew 6, verse 10. Jesus says, and you're very familiar with it probably, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where we took that title from, on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying. One of the things that we talked about was we are to pray as we pray. We're to pray God May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then as we just read, right after Jesus teaches that we should pray this way, he moves to teach that we should also be living this way. Now, this is the connection that I need everyone to make in here. Not only does Jesus say, pray this way, but then he moves immediately into his sermon. He goes, okay, now everybody live this way. Don't just pray that the kingdom of God comes. I need you to live as if the kingdom of God is coming. I want you to embody it. I want you to live that way. It's not just a prayer. Look at verse 33 in Matthew 6. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek it out yourself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so Jesus connects the, pri- the private with the public. You see how he does that? You have a private life, but then he connects it to a very public life. This is huge. He's like, you have a private life of prayer, and I want you to have a private life of prayer. He goes, when you guys pray, go inside your your house, go into your closet, shut the door, pray in secret. Have a private life of prayer. But then he also connects it to a very public life. He connects the sacred with the secular. See, we have this really evil tendency to compartmentalize the public and the private life of following Jesus. We think that following Jesus is for the private life, the inner life, but not the outer life, the public life. We think it's about repentance, but not about obedience. Like, yes, Christ's teachings are all about reflection and repentance and like making me kind of in in line with God. But when it comes to obedience and living a life for God, we just don't really connect those dots. We believe in a separation of sacred and secular. We have our time at home in secret praying for the city and for our friends and for our coworkers in private. 
And Jesus teaches that we should. <clears throat> he says, teach. I want you to pray that he teaches this way. We should pray in a very humble and very private way. We should have a very humble and private spirituality. But many of you think, many of this city thinks that this is the way Christianity needs to be, a very private religion. You guys keep your religion private and you keep your religion to yourself. But Jesus' teachings, if you learn anything about Jesus' teachings, you see that he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at the private. He doesn't stop with like your life with God, your hidden life with God, your secret life with God. He doesn't stop. He goes, yes, you should have that. You should have a secret, private prayer life with God, but it has to move beyond that. He says, when you are at home and you're praying in private, in that secret place, in that sacred place, pray that the kingdom of God would come to earth. Pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that privately. But you're also to live your life in the world. You also still have to live life in the day-to-day, in the very public arena. Life in our secular jobs and careers and schooling. And so Jesus says this, not just pray, seek. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek to embody the kingdom of God. Seek to show the kingdom of God. Seek to partner with God in bringing about the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or that word can be translated, his justice. Seek the kingdom of God and the justice of God. And what Jesus does is he connects both of them. You and I are to have a private life of prayer that prays this. When we're at home, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in this city. But he also says you have a public outworking of that prayer, seeking first the kingdom of God. In other words, and this is what I'm trying to say, we are to pray for the inbreaking kingdom of God, that the will of God and the loving rule of God would be a reality in the city and community we live in, which is San Francisco. So we should be praying, Lord, may your will and your loving rule be a reality in this city. May your will be a reality in the city. May your will be done in San Francisco. We need to pray that, okay? Privately, at home, in our prayer closets, okay? But then we are to seek. This is where he connects it. We are to seek to be a part of the inbreaking kingdom of God. We are to seek to be a part of it. And we should do this, that the will of God and the loving rule of God would be a reality in our lives publicly, We need to be praying it, and then we need to be embodying it. We must be a loving, real part of the kingdom of God. We don't just pray for it and then go about our work weeks completely overwhelmed and anxious about our own lives. It's a temptation, right? Then Jesus, he he went there. He goes, okay, I I want you, don't start up your treasures on earth. We're moth and right. Then he goes right into, and do not be anxious, because that's the temptation. We're so absorbed. And I know there's part of this where it's just, just like, picking you guys off because there's part of this teaching where I know everyone's guilty of it. I'm the most guilty of it. I've been meditating on this for longer than you have. You're hearing it for the first time. I'm, I kind of walk up here a little bit more sober-minded because I know I'm g- completely guilty of this as well. But I want to hear what the, God wants to speak to this church, do you understand? And I think it's this, that we are to seek to be a part of the kingdom of God coming in its reality in this city. Here we are, all of us who follow Christ. We have to pray 
that the kingdom of God would come into the city, and we have to seek to be a part of that kingdom of God becoming a reality in the city. Now, let me stop right here real quick. Some of you guys might think that the word kingdom of God might be too cryptic. They're like, okay, you keep on saying kingdom of God, but I have no idea what you mean. Are you talking about swords and like that movie that came out about kingdom of God? Are you, what are you talking about here? This is weird to me. Like, are you guys taking over this city, like host, hostile takeover? Like, okay, this is what it means. It's, it means this. Here's, here's what I mean by the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where the righteous and loving rule of God is manifested. The kingdom of God is the place where the righteous and the loving rule of God is manifested. It's like a slice of heaven. If you want to think of this, it's heaven on earth. That's what, that's what the kingdom of God is. It's a slice of heaven. And what Jesus says and teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is that the church should be a little, little slice of heaven on earth. It's a church should be, and he goes into salt, a follower of Christ, and, and a group of believers should be salt and light in the world, meaning we're to be this little picture of heaven on earth. We should be a community on earth that forgives, that loves, that is joyful, that sacrifices, that serves. We should be this little slice of heaven, also bringing in the justice and the rule of God, fighting against oppression and poverty and all of these things. We should be a part of it in this city. The best way I can tell you about the kingdom of God manifested is ask you to maybe think for a second about the life of Jesus. The kingdom of God manifested is shown what it looks like in the gospels. Leslie Newbegin, a missiologist, said this. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, not to submit to them. His whole ministry is portrayed in the Gospels as a mighty onslaught on the works of the devil, whether these took form of sickness and demon possession among people or of hypocrisy or cruelty and hard-heartedness among rulers. And his whole ministry is interpreted as the breaking in of the reign of God into the life of the world to release those whom Satan has bound. So if you read the gospel narratives, if you, if you read Mark front to back or, or Matthew or Luke, whatever gospel narrative you're in, you're going to see that, okay, there's these... these um, demons are all over the gospels and they're dominating people and then then illnesses are all over the the gospel narratives making people like less than who they are and then nature is always threatening to destroy in the gospels and humans are oppressing other humans and then what jesus he comes in he's the inbreaking kingdom of god he comes in and he undoes he does undoes all of that he challenges every power he challenges everything that comes against the loving rule of god Everything that keeps people in bondage, everything that keeps people from created order, the blind see, the lame walk, the mute hear, the demon oppressed and and demonized people are set free and liberated. He preaches the gospel to the poor. All of a sudden, all the all the, the wrong is made right by the inbreaking kingdom of God. And so this is what the church is to do. We're to live in a city and go, how do I make wrongs right? How do I live like that with my roommates? How do I live that, like that in my job? And how do I live like that in my neighborhood? And how do I live like that in my city? That's what the church should be doing. That's what we should be doing. So when we seek and pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are not praying to be taken out of this world. A lot of people think that. Like when I pray, God, your kingdom come, I mean, Lord, hurry up and take me home. Get me out of this messy city. Get me out of this messy world. 
get me out of here. We're not praying that God would take us out of San Francisco and move us to Colorado Springs where there are way more Christians. That's not what we're praying when we pray this prayer. We're not like, God, move me to the mountains where there are trees and they're not people and buses and move me there, your creation. And God goes, this is my creation. All of these people packed into a room, my creation. Trees, yeah, those were cool, but creation here, apex of creation, humanity. We're praying the kingdom of God would come down. We are praying that we, that we would live a life that brings about the kingdom of God. We are seeking to embody this kingdom. We desire to see God's will be done in San Francisco as it is in heaven. Okay, so at first glance, if you're new, you're like, oh, wow, this church wants to pick a fight. It sounds like when I read that sentence, you're like, wait, did you just say that? Can you even say that? I mean, what, that looks pretty hostile. That looks pretty aggressive. You guys are going to start like, it almost sounds a little bit political when that's on the screen. We want the God's will to be done in San Francisco as it is in heaven, and that, that might threaten some people. But Jesus doesn't really start there. This is where Jesus goes with this. Your will be done, this is where he goes. He goes right to our hearts. Let the will of God be done here. Let the will of God be done in the hearts of the church and then let it work its way out. So what I want to do is I want to start with your hearts. I want to start with my heart. And I want to work it, I want to ask God to, Lord, change our hearts, make this true in our hearts, and then work this out to we're living this out in the city. And this is how Jesus does it. He, he teaches us a different way to live in order to make this desire for the kingdom of God a reality. The kingdom of God in San Francisco is made a reality through selfless lives, invested lives, and trusting lives. I did it again. I did a really long intro. Um, I apologize. Second week in a row. It will never happen again. So the kingdom of God in San Francisco is made a reality through selfish, selfless lives, invested lives, and trusting lives. First, selfless lives. Lives. It's a tongue twister, sorry. Now, when I say selfless life, that you would have, should have a selfless life, we all know this one. All of us. If there's someone in here that's not convicted by just the word selflessness, something's wrong. Whenever you hear that, you should be going, oh, wow, yeah, I'm pretty selfish. I mean, not many people are going to raise their hand and go, yeah, tell them, pastor. Tell them to be selfless. I know that I'm so selfless. Even if you do have an, an itch to give yourself a pat on the back, let me, let me just say this. Our being selfless has become so self-centered. Our giving is very self-centered. We, because our giving is so self-centered, we usually serve on rotation, you ever notice that? Like, okay, we might give our money, but we give our money weekly at best. At best, weekly. Or if we serve, we serve monthly. Or if we volunteer, we volunteer annually. And we're like, okay, how do I, how, how do I live my life that, that, that's just kind of self-absorbed, and I schedule in times of selflessness? Our lives are all about us, and then we have to schedule in times of selflessness. That's how self-absorbed we are. Jesus doesn't say to add selflessness to an already overcrowded schedule of selfishness. He teaches that we should change our whole approach. And this is how. He says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where all those things don't happen. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the key. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he goes on and says, no one can serve two masters. He says, you will hate one and love the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, you may be thinking, if you've seen my apartment, you would know that I'm not laying up treasures on earth. If you look at my, the stuff that I have. Now, I understand a lot of, there's a lot of young people here that are just, they're in their, you're in your first career, or you're in, um, you're still in, in, in medical training, or you're still in, in college, university, and you're, you're like kind of starting your life. Listen, I don't need this teaching. I don't have anything. I have a, I have a mattress, one pair of uh, set of sheets, and a dresser, and that's all I own. And I can move at any time. You don't need to talk to me about treasures, on, all my treasures in heaven. I got nothing here on earth. <laughs> now, Jesus is talking about our heart, okay? He's talking about our heart, where your treasure is, there's your heart. Now, these things are not teachings about against making a living. They do not reject possessions or all possessions. They are rejecting, Jesus here is rejecting, and we all need to learn this if we own a lot of stuff or nothing. Jesus is rejecting greed. He is rejecting treasuring up your treasures. It's actually a pun in Greek. Jesus says, don't treasure your treasures. Don't treasure up your treasures. Don't hoard. Don't live for selfish pursuits. In Luke 12, Jesus gives a little parable to illustrate this. He says, take care. And be on guard against all greed. And this is huge. This is, this, this is exactly what he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount here. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life does not consist in things that you collect. And he told them a parable about this. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's interesting here because this is the only time Jesus talks about immediate judgment. And it's in the context of greed. This man's treasure on earth was his treasure. He treasured his treasure. He didn't give even a thought. He didn't even think about, okay, so I have this abundance of crop this year. How do I meet the needs of others? What if I gave my grain away? Even though I have a lot, I even have more than I need. What if I gave it away? This man got a bonus, and instead of doing something for someone, he did something for himself. I know that's a bit convicting for me as well. He got more, and he's like, I could get that thing I always wanted now, or I can relax now. I could take it easy now. Look at his heart. This fool's whole speech was about him. He said, I, 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 six times. He said, my, four times. And the only time he said, you, he was talking about himself. He's like, and I said to my soul, soul, you have a lot of goods. <laughs> this guy was so self-absorbed. The turning point and the irony in the whole story, this is so great, is God was listening the whole time. 
and he enters into the conversation. He said, fool, and he's like, wait, who's that? I'm talking to myself here. God, you have no right to be talking to me. I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm having a little power with myself, talking about all my good grain. God goes, fool, this very night, your soul is expected of you. See, I think that the power of, of greed and the power of money is that we don't stop and ask ourselves if we should buy something. The power of it, we don't think, we don't consider what we should do with our money, and we don't have people around us to say, you fool, don't do we don't like get extra money and go, um, and guys, I'm not saying we, I'm saying I, I do the same thing. I'm guilty of this even in my marriage. Like I get extra money and I don't like, go to my wife going, wife, let's do something great. I always, my first inclination, and I'm just completely confessing here, is like, what can I get now? I'm the, and maybe you're way, way, way less selfish than I am. But this, this here, I'm be completely honest. God is preaching it to me first. This man eliminates others from the ethical conversation about what to do with his possessions. He doesn't sit down with his community group. Can you imagine that? Sitting down with your community group, like, okay, I, have, I got 400 extra dollars this week, guys. What do you think I should do? No one would do that. Because someone raised their hand like, I need it. And you know that someone would do that. You're like, I'm not going to bring that up. Because that fool over there that did nothing all week long is going to ask for it. And I'm not going to give it to him. I worked hard for this. It's my money. This is kind of how we think. Guys, this is like our, our culture. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying. The Bible just really clashes with culture sometimes. And this is one area that it does a lot. This teaching here is not just don't be greedy, okay? So if you're hearing, okay, the pastor said today, the, the whole sermon, just don't be greedy. So I'm not going to be greedy, you're not a really good judge of your greed or not, okay? Actually, Jesus teaches a better way, and this is the better way. Invest your life. This is the better way that he's talking about. He's not saying, okay, and this is really the, the, the point of, of, of the sermon. It wasn't, I really wasn't trying to talk about money. That kind of subject came up when I was typing, and I'm like, whoa, I'm talking about money right now. Abort, 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 you know, that sort of thing. I'm, just, I'm typing my notes, and I'm really trying to hear, God, what does the Lord want to say to this church? And then I'm just, like, writing about money, and then I'm, like, trying to get out of it somehow. And the Lord's like, don't get out of it. But this is the point of it right here. It's not don't be greedy. It's invest your life. Jesus doesn't want your money. He has, he has a lot. He wants your heart. But Jesus is a realist, okay? Remember, I said this last week. I love this. He's a realist. Your heart tends to follow your money. Your heart follows your investment. Your heart follows your treasure. Let me give you an example of this. Imagine you bought and you invested in a very, very nice car, okay? I have a friend of mine who um, owned a nice car, a very nice car, loved his car, invested in his car, took care of his car, Took, was concerned about every nick, every dent, every scratch, how clean it was, spent weekends just cleaning it, like all things, okay? I won't mention his name because he gets enough flack as it is around here. And, and his first dent, when he was parked out front of the church, he got a dent, he was just, I mean, I remember just him sitting out on Market Street going, I, I just don't believe, look at this, someone just swiped me, I just don't believe this, I'm, I'm suing everybody, everyone's being sued, this whole city, like this, this sort of thing, okay? This is what, this is what, 
is meant by your heart following your possessions. This sort of thing. Now, I will tell you the rest of the story is he sold his car because he was doing a lot with the church and, the, and in the city and knew he couldn't be about that anymore. He's like, I want to buy a car. They could dent it, whatever. Steal it. I don't care. But before you think, I don't own a car. Before you think that, I want you to think this. <laughs> what if, and it's just a, it's principle, your, your heart follows your investment. What if we as a church invested our money in education in San Francisco? What if we invested our money in evangelism and gospel ministry in San Francisco? What if we invested in the prevention of hunger or poverty in the city? What if we like took our money and our time and invested it? And what Jesus is saying is that when you do that, you're going to put time in, and money in the city. You're going to be invested here and you're going to pay attention. You're going to pay attention to the gospel ministry. You're going to pay attention to poverty. You're going to pay attention to education. You're going to care. You know why you don't care? Because all of our money and our resources are wrapped up in crap. That's why we don't care. We're like, well, I care about this. I'll protect this. But I don't really care about this city. Because you're not, we're not invested. And Jesus is like saying, listen, I'm a, I'm a realist. Listen, you're, where your treasure is, there's your heart. So treasure good things. He's not like saying, don't treasure anything. No more clothes for you. No, no treasure things more. Treasure, use your money and invest here. Invest in this church. Invest in other churches. Invest in missionaries. Invest in education. Invest in, the, in, in, in poverty, in soup kitchens. And invest your time and your money, and you're going to care. And you're going to wake up, and you're going to pray. And you're going to watch the news and see how that's going in this city. You're going to care. Jesus is saying, he's not saying, okay, stop being greedy. He's like, okay, redirect here. Where's your treasure Make it about the kingdom. And that's why he flips right into seek first the kingdom. You're so anxious about what you wear and what you eat and all of these things. You're so anxious about it because it's all about you. You're anxious at our jobs and we're anxious because it's all about you. I don't think Jesus is teaching here, okay, just be who cares about everything. He's actually saying if you're going to be anxious... Be anxious about the kingdom of God. Want to look to see this advance. Seek first the kingdom of God. All those things are going to take care of itself. God will provide all of these things. He's not talking about you being passive. Like, hey, look at the birds and look at the, the lilies. Look at how they just chill and they're just taken care of. God's not saying, hey, everybody just chill and be really passive. And then all of a sudden you're going to get like, clothes are going to start showing up. And people are going to start sending you like, Amazon things in the mail, and it's going to be awesome. Like, that, that's not what God's saying. It's not talking about your passivity as much as talking about God's activity. God is active. You seek the things that are important to the kingdom of God. You seek these things, and all this other stuff will happen. All this other stuff will happen, and your heart's not connected to them. All this stuff will happen. You might actually get what you want, but your heart's not going to be like, oh, it's my treasure, because your treasure is going to be in seeing the ministry of God go move forward. The way that I think that we in this city start to bring about the kingdom of God in San Francisco as it is in heaven is to be invested here. Is to pour, some of you guys won't live here that long. You might live here two years, maybe five, maybe ten. We're hoping that you live here for the rest of your life, raise kids, but you might not. While you're here, will you invest? Like, I'm here in this city and I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm going to pour my life here to see this place 
become better. Now, why do we do all this? First of all, you realize that you probably don't have the power. This is, might be a little motivational type of thing for some people. Like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm giving. I'm going I'm to go away, out of this door. I'm going to give someone something. It's going to be awesome. And then, like, in three days, you're going to forget all about it. See, the power, the problem is we can't do this. I'm seriously more convicted than anyone in this building. The only way that this happens is by looking, worshiping Jesus. That's the only way this happens. See, we're not storing up treasures in heaven trying to buy our way into eternal life. That's not what I'm saying here. If you're going, oh my gosh, here, here it goes. Another pastor talking about give money to the church and give money to God and then I'll get in heaven. That's not what this is. It's not like, hey, put all your stuff there so you can earn and buy heaven. That's not what this is. Religion says that we can buy our way in, in by tithing, by praying the right prayers, by looking the right way. But here's the deal, you'll never be selfless enough, generous enough, invested enough, or have enough faith to get in. You'll never get to God like that. But here's the good news. It's not the quality of your faith, and it's not even the quantity of your faith. It's the object of your faith. It's fixing your faith squarely upon Jesus. And because Jesus is the only one who was selfless enough to lay down his life to bring us in, who was generous enough to make us partakers of everything he earned, we don't deserve it. He earned it. He earned salvation. He earned forgiveness. He earned riches upon riches, and he's lavished all of them on us. And he was the only one invested enough that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we will never be able to be the church and the people of God that we want to be and that God is making us to be until we get that. Until at the heart of it, we see Christ giving himself for us, serving us, investing in us, where we're his treasure. Until we see that, we'll never be able to see other people that way. And so as we, as we close, let's before we, before we get all these ideas of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this way, I'm going to change that way, I'm going to change this way, which I think are healthy and good, where I'm going to get in a group of like three people and go, how do, how, what if we just start telling each other what we made? And like, hey, how do we become more generous together? How do we, how do we get, what if in the community groups you're just like, hey, how do we give and, and invest in the city where we're like really, we care about it? Before we do all that, let's first stop and go, if we don't see Christ who's given it all for us, our our hearts will be wrong because when we invest and we don't get return on our investment right away, we will bail. And that's why it's beautiful that it says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. God, I, I... I think um, preaching sermons, Lord, are really weird. And being up here just completely uh, exposed like this and knowing that you want to do something in this church and knowing that um, you're going to have to raise up some really good key people to start leading the way. I, I, want, I want to be one of them, Lord. I, I confess that 
that though I, I could think of all the things that I've given up to come to this point in my life, I know that there's more. I could think of all the stuff that I've, I've sacrificed, cashed in, walked away from to be here, but I know that, 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 that that's not it. I'm just, I just can't be here and go, um, I'm good now. You're calling us onward. And I know there's some people here that have given up a lot to be here. But you're moving us forward. And you brought us into this city. And I pray that our lives would be generous. I pray, God, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will would be done in this city as it is in heaven. And I pray that we would seek to become a part of that. And I know the only way that we can begin that is by worshiping and seeing Jesus. So, Lord, show us. Show us your glory. Show us yourself. Show us the sacrifice that you've done to purchase our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.